listening to Cooper Talk. Welcome to Cooper Talk. I'm your host, Steve Cooper, and remember, I'm only as hip as my guest. I gotta tell you something, people. My guest today, she was on my show six years ago, and I still remember that we talked about Christmas trees, because Joanne had just moved, I think it was Joanne's second Christmas in Burbank, and and we didn't know where to get a tree, because the, the lot we went to was gone. And my guest gave me a, a recommendation, and I gotta tell you, when we moved back east, we still got real trees, but this year... We we changed the, the the action because I get, think it's 2020. We got three four foot artificial trees, one silver and two are green, and I love it because I don't have to worry about lugging that and throwing it away. And God, I'm getting old. Anyway, my guest today, she's such a great actor. I've uh, seen her in so much. She's so much has gone on since I I last saw her. And my guest is Alicia Coppola. How you doing? Hi, Steve. How are you? Thank you for having me today. Now, before we came on, we were talking about, you know, being at home and Zooming. How how has the pandemic affected you, especially since you're in L.A. and you guys are on shutdown now? How is it not? I mean, it's, it's, the list is endless. I'm, you know, homeschooling two children. My eldest is uh, at college um, in an apartment. Um and doing all of his classes online. Uh, it's in the beginning of the pandemic, we were actually in an apartment building because last Thanksgiving, our master bathroom pipes burst. So we've been under construction and we were in an apartment when the, when COVID first hit. So we were all, you know, jammed into a three bedroom high rise and you couldn't leave the apartment. Finally, we were able to come back home in April. Um, and, I thought things were loosening up a little bit and then boom, it's like shut back down again. I think it's, I think emotionally we weren't built for this spiritually, psychologically. I think this whole thing has just taken a toll on everybody. The anxiety level has gone through the roof. Now, how has it been with your relationship with kids? Cause I've talked to people where I don't have kids. Me and my wife, we got married over 50. Neither of us had kids, but we live in a condominium development and I love it cause I actually, hear kids, which I never heard kids outside before, because they think they were always inside, and then they were like, oh, crap, you know, we're getting tired of being inside, we want to get out. How's it been with your kids? Because your kids are an age where it seems they're a little bit older. I mean, how how have they acclimated to everything? Well, my eldest um, is 18, and he still wanted to have the college experience of having roommates, and so we, we we worked hard to make that happen for him. Um, but, you know, there's no social life. I mean, he's with his roommates, so at least he has that. Um, and then my two little ones are uh, uh, 12 and 10. And it's a little harder for them, but thank God they have each other. Um, the little one was playing soccer or like, you know, social distance soccer that they were playing and then they shut that down. So I think it's really hard for them because they can't change this. They have no control over, over their education. They have no control over seeing everything's been taken away from them. Halloween. They took Halloween. It's my favorite holiday of the year. Thanksgiving kind of sucked. I mean, I was grateful that I was able to be with my immediate family. I couldn't see my mom. They couldn't see their grandmother. So it's, I think it's all been very hard. On the other hand, um, it's been wonderful to have this kind of time with them. And I'm grateful for that. And um, we, we watch a lot of movies. We watch a lot of TV. We play games. So, so, you know, we wouldn't otherwise have that opportunity. 
Now, as an actor, how's it affected you? I've, I've gotten different stories from different people. Some people love, they love the uh, tape by, uh, audition by tape. Some people hate it. They, they love going into the room because they feel they can get a play. Um, how's it affected you when it comes to auditioning and what, what would you rather do, in person or by tape? I hate going into rooms. Um, I always have. Um, I don't hate meeting people. I love meeting people. Um, and I love getting a, a take of the room. But actual auditioning in the room is not my favorite. I much prefer self-taping. A, I control my environment. I have a whole lighting kit. I have a DP who lives across the street who's a dear friend who's really taught me how to, you know, how to light well. Um, my husband is a fantastic actor, so I have him to work off of instead of a casting director who's, you know, who's places in the, you know. Um, and I can do as many takes as I want. I also, I was actually just talking to my husband about this. When you go into a room and you say you have, I mean, I did one self-tape that I had to memorize was 17 pages of dialogue basically i performed the whole movie for them so when you go into a room you have to know all 17 pages of that dialogue what i'm finding now is that i go scene by scene when i'm home so that i'm not cramming my brain with so much material that i can't even remember my mother's phone number right so this way i get a good overview of the material and then really work each scene so scene by scene, so that I can like dump the first scene. Now I can really focus on the second scene. You can't do that when you're in the room. You can't take your time like that. Well, I think also so be, I, I think it'd be for the nerves also, where it's like, yeah. you know, if you if you some people freak out when they're in front of people, and and you're probably second tracking, thinking, am I am I gonna did I forget that line? And I think that probably yeah. throws you off. And. Yeah. But with this, it's probably just for you. It's probably just like shooting a TV show where if you screw it up, you know, if your husband's taping you or someone is taping you, say, take two. Take two. It's fine. And I did, though, have a Zoom uh, meeting with like eight producers and the director. Uh, it was between me and another actress for this um, uh, pilot that they're shooting right now. She got it. So that's fine. But um, that was that was overwhelming. Because you, you, know, you see all these faces. Of course, they block themselves out so that you're only seeing the casting director. But um, that was super interesting. And at least I got to meet everybody. And you, you do get a sense of, you know, of who everyone is. So I enjoyed that, too. Now, what is your feeling about going back to set? Like, I've seen people I know. It's like, well, you know, you know Reed Diamond. You know, he's flying back and forth. And he's got, like, eight masks on and stuff like that. What is... So he's doing it because he wants to work. What is your feeling, you know, because you are a mother and it's more than just you. What is your feeling about going on to set now? And do you think that the, not the restrictions, whatever the, the you know what I'm talking about, are enough? Well, I'm working now. I'm on a new show. I'm on Generation for HBO Max. Uh, it's Lena Dunham is executive producing, created by Zelda and Ben Barnes. Um, and... I went to my first fitting. I sat in my car. They COVID tested me. I sat there for 15 minutes, waited for my negative result, went in for a fitting. Um, and that's the same thing. When I go to work, I'm tested in the morning and then I get cleared and I go to hair and makeup. And I find that 
everybody's take, I felt very safe. I did not feel at all threatened. I didn't, I, I, I kind of feel like we're like the healthiest group of people, knock on wood, because we're constantly being tested, you know, actors and porn stars, you know, because we're all being tested every five seconds. So actually, you know, a, a TV, a movie set or shoot is kind of like the safest place to be, I think. Now, tell me about the show, this new show, Generation. It's funny, we have HBO Max. Well, we have HBO, but we have HBO Max, but for some reason, I have an old smart TV, so we have every staging, but for some reason, we can't get HBO Max right now. No, you can't. We have a smart TV, too. Apparently, they haven't made an agreement yet. Okay, so so tell me about the show. Okay, so uh, Ben Barnes uh, uh, directed Cake with Jennifer Aniston, and he and his daughter and his husband created the show called Generation, and I guess Lena Dunham got behind it. And it's basically about teenagers and what they go through, their fluidity, their, um, but it's told in a very positive, a very positive light. And it's told in a, it's very raw. It's the way I would love to shoot. It's very, you know, Peterburg, Friday Night Lights, NYPD Blue, Bochco, you know, a lot of steady cam, a lot of, you know, um, and it's, it's just all about this group of high school kids and how they're navigating their day-to-day life with their parents, with each other, with their sexuality. Um, and that to me is what drew me to it because my son is a trans male. So we're going through a transition right now with him. So this material was really important to me. I felt that they were in some way, uh, you know, telling my son's story. And I think it's important to get out there. So I just wanted to be a part of it uh, in any way that I could be. It's funny, as I said, you know, I look I look at IMDb and since you've been on the show, there's been so much other things. I know you were on a soap opera, uh, Young and a Restless, since you've been on my show. What was that experience like? Because everyone says when you're in a soap opera, it's so hard because you have to learn so much stuff every night. Well, I started my career on Another World. So that's, I feel like every actor should be on a soap at some point because you really do learn that you, you have to be on your game. You know, I I mean, there were times when I was memorizing, you know, 30 pages of dialogue. So memorization is, it's, it's like a muscle. It's very easy for me. Um, uh, The Young and the Restless. Yes. I, I, I didn't, um, it was fine. I mean, it certainly wasn't like, when I was doing Another World. I mean, that, you know, when I was on Another World, that was like not only a, a, a place, but a time in my life. Young and the Restless came at a moment where I needed a gig and they offered it to me and I got to work with Eric Braden, who's, you know, who's been there since Christ was born. And I did it for a couple of months and then, you know, it was thank you very much and I moved on to the next thing. What made you get into acting? I know, I know you were on, uh, I believe it was a remote control because we talked about this, but when, and which is so funny because that was such a great show and, and, you know, people don't remember that and every, so many people were on that. But what made you want to get into acting? I mean, were you, were you a precocious kid or, or what made you go into this career that you've, one of the lucky ones that has had a lasting career and a constant, I mean, have worked constantly? wasn't a precocious kid. I was a very uh, sensitive, deep thinking, uh, little damaged kid. 
you know, my dad was diagnosed with brain cancer when I was 12. Um, I was sent away to boarding school. I never really found my thing. You know, I played the clarinet. I played the flute. I was a ballerina. I wrote poetry. I really didn't find the thing that allowed me to express myself. And after I graduated from the Kent school where I went to boarding school, I went to NYU and uh, I needed an, an apartment. I was living in the dorm and I needed an apartment. And the woman, this is a long winded story, but I'll get to the point. The woman uh, that I was renting from said, you know, have you ever thought of modeling? And I was like, well, I did a little bit with my dad when I was younger. Sure. Why not? So, uh, so um, she introduced me to her agent at elite modeling agency and I was immediately signed and they sent me out for the audition for remote control. And I remember meeting with Ken Ober and Colin Quinn and Michael Dugan and, you know, Doug Herzog and, and the casting people. And, and I remember feeling, ah, oh, this is it. This is, this is the thing that I think will allow me to really get it out and to express myself. And it was. And from that moment on, from doing remote control, and I did a couple little jobs. And then when I got another world, I was like, yes, this is, this is what I'm meant to do. This is what I'm meant to do. Now, when you were in another world, that was, you know, a lot of, I always tell people, people don't remember, there was a day that, like, soap operas ruled the world. I mean, I remember when, you know, when I was in college, you know, before we our intramural football game, we would all watch General Hospital together. I mean, every, every guy, every girl, I mean, any dorm, I mean, and if you sit there and you go, oh my God, Luke's an asshole, or oh, Laura's great. What was it like for you to be in a soap opera? Because... Once again, it's a time when everyone was watching it. Did it change your life a lot? Because people, I think sometimes also, and this is unfortunate, perceive that you are the character. I mean, and I've I've heard that many times where, you know, some people can't separate the character of who the person is. What did you run into when you were on Another World? Because that was a huge soap opera. It was a huge soap opera. My I was one of the first people who looked like me to be on Daytime. Um, I, uh, I, I really kind of, you know, took it by storm and I really super grateful for the role of Lorna and I thought they were really brave in hiring me. Um, and it was, it was a game changer for me at the time because she was such a popular character. I remember after we did the, uh, the rape storyline, there was a girl who I, I, she, we ran into each other and she'd been carrying an angel charm in case she would ever meet me because she had been raped and she wanted to thank me for my portrayal. And I, that, that has stayed with me ever since because I was able to reach so many people. I mean, soap stars are like furniture. We're like the couch. We're in your, your living room. We're in your kitchen. We're in your bedroom every single day. So we're, we almost become family really. So, but it, 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 it definitely took me to a different level of, of fame, so to speak. Now, did you leave amicably or did you decide to leave or what happened? What made, what made you leave another world? I felt like I had told the story that for, for Lorna. Um, and I also, you know, my managers, my agents were like, it's time for you to, you know, it's time for you during that time if you stayed in soap operas long enough you pretty much were gonna 
live and die in daytime. I don't think that's the same anymore. I think everybody can, you know, is, 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 uh, is fluid in that way. You can go do a little daytime. You can go, I mean, look at Justin Hartley, you know, he did a bunch of pilots and shows and then ended up on young and the restless and boom, he's on, this is us, you know, and, and if the, the well, he's probably getting paid a gazillion dollars, so he probably wouldn't have to go back to work, but I'm sure if, if that ended and he needed a job, he'd be going back to YNR, you know, you, you kind of go where they're paying you. Um, but, uh, I left because I felt that it, that I was ready and I was being advised to come out to LA and pilot season. And, you know, that's when, you know, you had a couple of months of pilot season, you know? So, uh, that's what I did. It must've been a little scary just for the fact that, you know, you were getting a, a steady check and once again, times have changed. It's not like there's 8,000 shows on TV now. You know, there are no, back then there wasn't a lot. It wasn't like, oh, well, HBO, I mean, I think HBO had just, it didn't have really have series yet. I'm not even sure. But for you, I mean, were you, was there a little bit of fear? Because I'm sure you were making some pretty good money being on a soap opera and yeah. you probably got used to a certain lifestyle and all of a sudden yeah. you're leaving that median that you're in. So it's sort of almost starting over. I mean, did that ever sway you or were you just stick to your guns and oh, said, this was, is what no, I no, want to no. do? I was petrified. I was absolutely petrified. Um, you know, I made very good money. I mean, I made more money than my parents did, you know, and uh, I had a, you know, a gorgeous one bedroom apartment on the Upper West Side of Manhattan. You know, I was like the, you know, like a little it girl. You know, I was auditioning for really cool independent films. I was, I was really loving everything. I was loving my life, but I also kind of felt that I could get very comfortable. So, um, I moved to LA and yeah, I was petrified. I didn't know. I mean, I only had so much money saved up. I didn't know what would happen. And, you know, and I worked a little bit and then all of a sudden I'm like, okay, my money's gone now. What do I do? Like I had to get a job in a restaurant and I was like, I don't care. I'll, I'll do what I'm scrappy. You know, I'm a gritty New Yorker. I, I got to get dirty. I got to get dirty. Um, but it was really scary. And, and I do remember a time thinking, hmm, I wonder if I made the right choice here. Now, you know, yeah. you said you, you're, you're gritty, and I, I, know, I understand what you're saying, because I'm from the East Coast, too, and there's a different, I always think, a different mentality. But did you ever feel, I don't know, humbled going into a restaurant? Because here you were the it girl. I mean, did people recognize you? I used to wait tables at Planet Hollywood in Beverly Hills, and Gary Coleman used to come in all the time, and he wanted to be a host because he loved the place. And we're like, dude, you're Gary Coleman. You can't be a host at Planet Hollywood. You're going to make, like... Eight bucks an hour. You know, did you, I mean, what, what is it like when you have to sit there as we call slinging hash? I remember an actress from the soap, one of the, I don't remember her name now, but she came in and she's like, you're working as a hostess? You were like a big deal on another world. I mean, do you, are you in trouble? Do you need, you know, and I was like, and your table will never be ready. So you might as well go next door to the other restaurant because I'm not going to sit you here. She was just really condescending. And I was like, are you going to pay my bills? I, I have bills to pay. You know, what do you want me to do? So you're doing that. So what was what was the kick that got you 
back working? I mean, when you sat there, what was your break, your second break per se, that you sat there and went, or third break, when you sat there and said, you know, you felt that you made the right choice? I don't think I've ever thought that I've made the right choice, honestly. I, I if, if I could go back, I think I might have done things a little differently. I think I would have given myself a chance to grieve, really, the death of my dad and to, like, live in that because I think maybe I would have stayed in New York if I – I think I was running a lot. I think I was kind of running away um, also. I, I feel like I was running towards something and running away from something. And I think maybe had I given myself just a bit of a break, um, I probably would have stayed in New York. But I forgot your question now. What well, was what, was, what was it where you started? Was it Trinity that was the, the role that kicked oh, you no, into gear? No. You know what? I don't really remember. I, I do know that there was a period... I got an independent movie called Velocity Trap. And then there was a period where I was literally in Peter Roth's at Warner Brothers office testing every Friday for like a month for different shows. So I was kind of, I was like on a roll and I was getting into really good rooms and I was getting good feedback. And I think the... Yeah, I think Trinity was one of the first ones to work with John Wells. That was a lot of fun. And then I did back-to-back Cold Feet. So I did Trinity, then I did Cold Feet, and then I did Bull. So I had three series in a row. And so that was pretty awesome. Well, what was the what was the difference in being a regular on a series like that and being a regular on a soap opera? I'm sure you have much more free time when you're a regular on a series like Cold Feet or Bull. I mean, as an actor... Was it easier to be on the the network show than the soap? Well, first of all, the biggest difference is money. You get paid a shit ton more money as a series regular on a primetime show than you do on daytime. Um, Daytime is much more time consuming because we're, and it's it's much quicker pace. I mean, I, 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 uh, you shoot, you shoot like one episode a day. So it was really funny because one of my first gigs off the show was Jimmy Smith's first episode of NYPD Blue. And I remember the great uh, Greg Hoblet was directing. And I didn't understand this idea of coverage where you're going closer and closer and closer because in daytime that didn't, you just, you, that didn't happen, you know? So I said to him, I was like, you know, sir, I'm not going to get any better. You don't have to keep going closer and I don't understand this is it this is all that's happening and he was like oh bless your heart I was like are you people you're not very good at your job I mean we're still here eight hours later and we're still on the same fucking scene you know in daytime you do I mean I remember Young and the Restless Eric and I banged out five scenes in 45 minutes I was in and out and having lunch at, at, at the Grove you know so that's a big difference um, yeah daytime's just way more time consuming well, you know, you sit there, and as I said, I always took check out IMDb. You know, Trinity and Cold Feet and those shows. None of them lasted real long. Does that start getting you? Does that start getting you frustrated? Because you sit there and you finally go paycheck, cha-ching. Hey, man, I got twenty three episodes, and then done. And then it happens. And I always say it's you know I know people who've gotten pilot. Many people who've gotten pilots that haven't got picked up. But I'm like, but that's such an accomplishment to get a pilot that puts you above so many 
other people who have tried. What goes through your mind? I mean, you know, you have to get a little bit of swagger when you get a series and then it gets canceled, then you'll roll into another one. I mean, what kept you on track? I mean, you must have started getting frustrated a little bit. Oh, I'm always frustrated. I mean, I've just, I've got like five self tapes out there that I, you know, that I don't know, I don't know what's happening. And like I said, I just two weeks ago lost a role um, to another actress. You know, it's, it, 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 it's, it's, it's a roller coaster. You know, you've got really high highs. Then you've got a high, and then you've got a low, and then you get really, really low. I mean, I think the only thing that's kept me going is my husband, his support, and my children. And that I, I have a very, very, very full life. And that keeps me, it, it, it grounds me because, you know, okay, well, I didn't get that role two weeks ago. I still got to cook dinner. I still got to vacuum. I still got to, you know, take care of everybody. You know, so, yeah, it's frustrating all the time, you know, because one minute, you know, I, I have not yet had that, that, that thing yet. I mean, I thought I did a little bit with Why Women Kill, CBS All Access, where I was given an opportunity to really play a character that I know very, very well, because they're all my aunts and, and, and female cousins from Brooklyn and Staten Island. Um and that helped me, and also Empire, but I haven't yet had that this is us yet. And, you know, and, and that's what keeps me in the game, is the belief that I will. Now, how has the roles that you've gone out for changed over the years? Because you said, when you said you were the first, one of the first people to look like you in daytime, is that first Italian or dark skin or, you know? What no, was... well, I think ethnically people were, are confused by me. So I'm kind of a mutt. I'm a little bit of everything. Um, and I think daytime back back then, you know, there was a certain daytime look, just like there's a certain like Aaron Spelling look of the actors, you know, there's a certain thing. So I was kind of wild, you know. Um, and what was your question again? How has your the roles you've gone out for changed over the years? Because, I mean, you know, everyone remembers you playing the, uh, the uh, cannibal. But, you know, and, uh, oh, sure, sure, sure. Yeah. Well, well, A, I'm older, uh, but I have such great opportunities right now. I mean, there's, I, I feel very, uh, very full. And I think um, these creators and writers are just, are embracing, I feel, you know, because the opportunities I'm getting, you know, women of a certain age. So I feel very fortunate and lucky there. And that's another thing. I've always been a very late bloomer. So I kind of feel like um, uh, my age and the role, I think it, it's, it's going to connect. Um, I'm also being given opportunities to play comedic characters, which I'm very funny. But, you know, I think early on in my career, um, I wasn't as confident in my humor and in my timing. Um, so I'm being, so I have that opportunity as well. And I think the roles have gotten richer for me and less, I have like no interest really in playing a district attorney. I, I really don't want, I'm not interested in that. I'm not interested in playing a profession. So the roles that I'm interested in are more character driven rather than procedural. Now, I know the last time we talked, you said a lot of people remember you from the role in Jericho. 
Oh yeah, Jericho. Now yeah. tell me about Jericho. Why do you think people remembered you? And and was that a different? You know, every TV show has a different crowd. You know, my wife watches all the all network TV. You know, I watch quirkier stuff. So everyone has different tastes, and we react differently. And yeah. I always crack up because if someone's my wife always yells when like Xander Berkeley was on a show last night, and Xander's been on a show a few times, and my wife oh, says, great. "Oh, Xander's playing a, a bad guy in show." She always like, "You got to come out." But uh, what was why? Why do you think Jericho got you like a cult following? I mean, what? what why was that a cult type show? Because I didn't, I didn't watch it. I'll be honest. You didn't watch Jericho? I I was busy. What the fuck, Steve? I, I, you know, I, I had things to do. Well, you, but did you watch Why Women Kill? Uh, I'm going to. Oh, man. I, I don't have CBS access. Oh, oh, just get it, the free trial for seven days and binge watch it. It's 10 episodes. We pay for every damn network channel. HBO, but Showtime, Amazon, this, that. I, I look know. at it and I go, what the hell? And I, I, I sometimes I flip through and I go to my wife. I say, hey, listen, why don't we get rid of these certain channels? And she goes, I watched that channel. I go, you've watched it once in like two years. <laughs> she goes, yeah, but just in case. And so now we had a deal where she pays for cable. I said, that's your guilty pleasure. I said, because I'll just go with basic and then Amazon. But tell me about Jericho. Jericho was, again, a time. It wasn't a show. It was a time. And like New York was in the late 80s. Um, Jericho was really, really special from the top to the to catering. I mean, John Turtletaub, uh, his sets are always just a delight to be on. I've now worked with him three or four times. Um, he's, and that one, that one, we, we shot a pilot stay, which, which didn't make it to series, but um, the cast, our cast was so close. We really, truly loved each other. And I think that's what resonated. I think that the fans could feel the chemistry. I mean, as a cast, we all had chemistry and I think that was palpable and I think that it was visceral and people could feel it and people cared about these characters. Um, I think they loved Mimi because I was the funny girl in a drama and so I brought in my little quirky things into her um, and they liked that and they loved me with Brad Byer so because it's what they called the steamy so that was fun. That was a fun thing. And then, you know, then we got canceled, which was like, what do you mean? Where, why were you, why would you, it's not broke. It doesn't need fixing. And then they brought us back for a very, you know, sad eight episode second season. I think it was bad timing. I think, I think the show would still be on the air today if, if, uh, if they let us go. Now, what is it like as an actor, you're on a show like that where it's so tight, so tight knit. And then, like any kind of actor, if you don't get a series right away, you have to go and do the guest spots. What is it like when you go from such a cohesive unit where you, you probably, as it sounds like, not only you, but the crew, and everyone was probably just really tight. And it's like a family. People who've never been on set don't know that. What is it like then all of a sudden when that's done and you have to go on a set where I've heard stories where people are amazing. Like people have said, you know, Mark Harmon on NCIS is great. And I've heard stories where people don't mention names, but the person's a prick. I mean, what's it like for you to go on that? Because you are established. It's not like you're a nobody walking on. Is it is it hard? And do you ever get a little, you know, sometimes you ever get that feeling 
that you really don't want to see someone and you get that weird stomach ache before you have oh, to yeah. see them. Does, does that ever happen when you, after, when you came from such a strong unit in Jericho, what was it like when you started doing guest spots again? Well, first of all, I wouldn't do all the guest spots that I had the opportunity to do. There's a lot of things that I passed on because I wasn't interested in being a part of it or I wasn't interested in working with that particular actor or actress. Um, so sorry, my mother's calling me. Um, I always look at each set that I go on. I remember my very first manager always said to me, you know, always make sure you leave set with a smile on your face and everybody wanting to work with you again. Right. So that's how I go on to every single set. I, I have three kids. I got a house. I got two cars and a dog that I'm on the fence about, but I, I got to support all of these mouths. Right. So it's like, listen, it's a gig, a gig's a gig's a gig. Very rarely, very rarely have I ever said lose my number, but there's been one or two shows where I've said I will never come back here, ever. Is that just because, I mean, don't say the show, but why? I mean, what made it that, what made it that example where you said, fuck this, I, I don't want anything to do with it? I didn't like the people, I didn't like the producers, I didn't like, uh, I didn't like the actors, I just, I didn't like the vibe or the feeling of the show, I, of, of the set, I just wanted nothing, nothing to do with them. At all. Very yeah. rarely has that happened. I've been very fortunate in that I have I can count on the on one hand the people that I will never work with. Now earlier you said about comedy, and I know you know it's so funny because when you do look at your resume, it's drama, drama, drama. Then you drop into two and a half men. What was it like doing on a show like that? Because one, there it was fine. It was a funny show. I mean, and it, it was fine-tuned. What's it like when you have to all of a sudden deliver up in front of a live audience? Um, it was fun. It was fun. I've worked, the only, the only sitcoms I've ever done have been for Chuck Lorre. So I think in the sitcom world, he's the only person who finds me funny. Um, and that's okay because he's really kind of the only game in town as far as that's concerned. Um, uh, and I enjoy him. Um, so I've done two and a half men twice, once with Charlie, once with Ashton. And then we did a pilot. Charlie and I did a pilot called Sugar Hill that never went anywhere. And it's fun. It's like, it's like live theater. What is it like when you do a pilot and you think, you know, you did a, you say you did a pilot with Charlie Sheen. Yeah. So, you, you know, it's one of those things where, you know, most times you think if you're doing a pilot with Charlie Sheen, you're, you think it's going to get picked up. I mean, you know, it's just one of those things, you know, he was a very bankable person. What's it like, you know, because you seem you've done a lot of pilots. What is it like when you do that pilot and everything seems like it's lined up and then it doesn't get picked up? I mean, how do you deal with that? And I mean, is it just crushing to you or do you sit there because you've been in this business for a long time and say, you know what? there's a good chance you're being realistic and there's a good chance it's not going to get picked up. Yes. So yes to all that. It's, it's, I mean, at this point, I've done so many pilots and I'm like the George Clooney of pilots. I've done so many that you t you kind of don't bank on them. You really don't. 
because you do, I mean, you do it, you hope for the best and then you got to move on. Is there any pilots that you've done that you thought, man, this, this is it. I mean, just that you sat there and went, this show is awesome. There's no way it's not going to get picked up. Yeah. I thought the, the spinoff of crossing Jordan that I did with Jerry O'Connell was going to get picked up. I thought for sure. And I remember my manager at the time said, saying to me, if this doesn't get picked up, I'll eat my hat. And I think he had to eat his hat. <laughs> now you're, you've been recurring on NCIS. How does, you know, what happens there? Like they just sit there, you know, you've done a few episodes over the years. Do they sit there at NCIS LA? Do they just call you out of the blue and say, Hey, you know what? We have a storyline for you this week. I mean, it's just weird. I mean, you look at the thing. It's 2010, 2015, 16, 18. So it's, it's a yeah. thing. I haven't, I haven't, uh, I haven't worked with them in a while. I trailed Frank Military um, because I'm really interested in directing, and so I've been trailing. Well, not now, but I was trailing a bunch of um, different directors to kind of learn, you know, to learn more. I mean, as an actor, I try to know as much about every um, every department so that I'm well versed um, and. The last time I think I was on NCIS LA, I don't even remember. I, I don't remember when it was, but I did trail Frank, who was my executive, who was a producer, a writing producer on Jericho. And now he's an executive producer on NCIS LA. Why do you want to get into directing? I want to get into directing. Um, I never thought that I would want to, but I recently, um, well, you know, I wrote my book. And I wasn't done telling my story, so I wrote a pilot. And I thought I was writing a pilot based on my book, but really, I was I was writing a more about what it would be like for my father to still, you know, to still be, you know, to be here, to be to be still be my champion. And so, um, it's called Between Us. And my husband said to me, you know what? Why don't you just shoot a short? Just shoot a short so that's what I did and um I realized as I was casting it and you know figuring out how I wanted to tell this story that I was using so much more of myself as a director than I was as an actor and then I realized after I had you know, gone through Technicolor, I, we got through editing, we did sound, we did all of it, how much I enjoyed the whole, from A to Z, the whole process of putting a film together that I wrote, that I directed, that I starred in. That to me, it just felt so good because I saw my vision, my taste uh, up there on the screen. And I, th and I thought to myself, well, if I learn from Frank and NCIS LA, if I learn how to direct really big on a large scope, because that's a huge, it's, it's, it's a huge, I mean, it's its own world, then I can direct smaller. And so I just, I, I, I just wanted to learn and I just feel that it, it uses more of me. Now, when you direct and when you focus, when you want to start to direct more, do you take into account shitty directors who directed you and say, I never want to do it that way? Or do you sit there and go, well, that guy was a prick, but he got the most out of us. How do you approach it as an actor? Because you are still an actor first. And so 
other actors must, you know, sometimes be like, well, wait a second, you remember you, you know, you were an actor once. I mean, how how are you going to focus on that? I think it only helps. I mean, quite frankly, the the directors who were once actors are the best directors. I find because they trust their actors. They trust them to do what they've been hired to do. I've had some really terrible directors in my career. People I've been like, listen, pal, I know way more in my nail clipping knows more about this than you do. I mean, I had one director uh, on a show who actually slapped me on the back and pointed at where he wanted me to go. And he was like a music video director. I was like, are you out of your mind? A, you don't, I mean, he was just a, a jerk is what he was. And um, I find the best directors um, are the kindest and take their time with the with the actors. And um, yeah, don't slap people on the back and point. Do you think uh, the caringness as a director affects the actor? I mean, you know, it's like the old thing. Sometimes, you know, like coaches. You know, I was talking to a good friend of mine who was a big football player. And in fear, he played with an injury and he screwed up his ankle and it hurt his career. And it was out of fear. What do you, I mean, as an actor, how do you combat when it, some directors use the fear factor? As an actor, you know, you're on the set already. You don't want to lose the gig. As you said, there's some gigs you haven't gone back to. But how do you deal with that if you're on the set and the guy or the girl is just a jackass? Um, well, you have to do your job. You have to do your job. Um, I have simply learned to say, oh, yes. I mean, I, I did have a couple of experiences. One with the guy who slapped me on the back. Another one called me, hey, girly. Um, and another director was just impossible. We did not. There was no connection at all. Um, and I have learned how to say, oh, yes, absolutely. You're so smart. So what a great note. What a great note. And then do what I want. Now, you've been lucky in your career. I mean, you know, as I said, since last time we talked, you did designate a survivor, a very big hit with Kiefer Sullivan. What yep. that, what's that like when you, you go into a set? And, you know, you know, Kiefer seems very, I mean, I heard he's very professional, but he just seems very understated. He's like, he was on 24, but it's not like, you know, now because he's, I think, chilled out a little bit. You don't hear a lot about him. But what's it like acting with someone who he probably seems like he's very intense? And the set must, was the set very chill or what was it like? Well, first of all, I am one of those actresses. I do very well with perceived difficult men. Um, my grandfather was one of them. So I learned at a very young age. I remember my mother telling me, if a woman has charm, she needs nothing else. If she doesn't have charm, it doesn't matter what else she's got. And so um, I, I do very well with with intense guys. I don't have a dog in their fight. I'm like, listen, I'm going to craft service. Can I get you a cup of coffee? Can I help, you know, how can I make this better for you? I'm a very good listener. Um, and what I find is that guys like that, you know, listen, I, I, I was told, you know, that, that, uh, that parents um, could be intense. And I found him to be the warmest, sweetest, loveliest 
man. I mean, he was amazing, and we got along like a house on fire. In fact, he wouldn't even leave, leave set on Empire. He would stay and chat with me. And Kiefer did the same thing. In between takes, instead of leaving, he would just stay in the set and chat with me. You know, so I, I'm 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 very like, I'm the perfect gal to call in a situation like that. And I, I loved Kiefer, and the set was amazing. He's very professional. He he expects, you know, like John Wells, where sides aren't allowed on set. You know, the little sides that they give you. They're not let, if, you, if you come into set, you better come to play. Come to play. Come knowing your lines. Come do your job. How did the role of Empire come up? Was that originally, was it, was it uh, did you audition? Were you, were you, um, offered it and was it supposed to be one role or, and it grew or what happened because once they again needed, that's a huge show yeah they needed somebody who could go toe to toe with Terrence um, to which I replied I got laundry scarier than Terrence Howard <laughs> I have three children please um, that doesn't give me something better than that um, I auditioned and it was you know the, the role was very irreverent um, she was she was a piece of work and um, I loved I loved working with him. I loved working with Taraji. Uh, Andre Royo is like a dear friend. We hit it off from from you know hello. He had me at hello. Um, but yeah, I auditioned for it and and I got it. And it was it's probably up there with one of my the best experiences I've ever had. Nice. Certainly the best mm, two and a half men in Empire. The best catering. I've ever had in my career the best food. Well, I, I heard though about catering. It's funny. Uh, Phil Rosenthal told me on Everyone Loves Raymond. He uh, he said he would uh, send out for like Maryland crab or, or Chicago yeah. pizza. And so, what made the food so good on Empire? Huh? What made the food so good on Empire? Oh my God, these these caterers, these chefs. It was like. My God, they would have like filet mignon and mashed potatoes and like delicious vegetables, roasted vegetables, steamed vegetables. They had like 37 types of desserts. It was just like thinking about it makes me sad that I'm not and, and back there. And I love Chicago. I loved Chicago. I loved everything about Chicago. Now, you've shot a lot of network in your career. Yes. But then you shot Shameless. What is it like when you go over to the other side where you can sit there and you can drop an F-bomb and, and you can be more raunchy and you don't have to worry about network sensors? What's it like being on a, on a set like that? Well, I mean, it's just a different beast. It's just, it's just a different beast. I mean, Sue, you know, I love that there was a whole I am a Sue. You know, it was, it, it, I am a Sue is its own hashtag. And people love that role, you know, because she, she was more like me, you know, Sue was, is like me, you know. Um, so to be able to just kind of be myself, throw myself, you know, throw my hair up in a ponytail and, you know, just be me was kind of amazing. And of course, the writers on Shameless are just absolutely superior. And Cameron Monaghan, I loved him. I loved working with Cam. So it was it was it was great. I loved it. Now, tell me about why women kill, because now I, I'm looking for something to watch. I may have to sit there and figure out, because we have we have all the cables. So I'm sure we can probably get it. But tell me about it, the show, because... Why, why Women Kill is Mark Cherry, who created Desperate Housewives um, and Devious Maids. So he's, I mean, talk about, like, genius. Um, and it's basically 
all about how it takes place in, in one house, but over three different decades. So uh, Jennifer Goodwin and I are 1960s. Lucy Liu is um, 1980s. And then um, Alexander Daddario and Reed Scott, um, they're all in the 2000s. And it's all about how the role of women has changed, how we have evolved, but how our reaction to betrayal has not. And I play Sheila Moscone, who's from Bensonhurst, Brooklyn, uh, who is the neighbor to Jennifer Goodwin. And I'm her best friend and her confidant. I'll have to check that out. I'll have to tell no, you what. Very funny. But it's the kind of show that you will laugh and, and tear up in the same episode. It's very poignant, but very funny. Okay. Before we go, tell the listeners more about your book. I know when you wrote that, and I think you had just come out with it yes. when you were on my show last time, and I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Explain the book and explain why it means so much to you. So my book is called uh, Gracefully Gone, and it's available on Amazon. Um, it is a combination of two journals, one mine, the other was my father's that I sliced together. So basically it's a decade long conversation told from two independent points of view between my father and I. My father was diagnosed with brain cancer when I was 12. So that was like 1980. And he wrote a journal, uh, a manuscript in I think 1983. So it was like retroactively, retrospectively. Yeah. Um, and when he began to die, I did not know that my father had this manuscript. So but I kept a journal of my day-to-day -day life of taking care of him because after I graduated from NYU, I moved back home to Long Island to help my mother take care of my dying father. Um, it took me 22 years and three pregnancies to finally put it in the, in the order that I wanted it. And um, because I was not on a show at the time and I didn't have a platform, I decided to uh, self-publish. And it sold more in like the first week than most independently published books sell in a year. So it's done really well. It's helped many people. Because of it, I am now on the board of directors of uh, Heal Grief um, AMF, which is actively moving forward. Uh, one in three college kids are, are suffering the loss or the diagnosis of a loved one, um, and they grieve alone. Uh, there's now an app for anybody who is listening. Um, it's the Heal Grief app. Um, uh, to take it virtual since we are in this COVID time. Um, and I'm also a global ambassador for the Elizabeth Kubler-Ross Foundation. So this book and writing this book and telling my father's story and my story of what it was like to be 12 and be told essentially that your father has brain cancer um, and is probably not going to survive that to 10 years later when he ultimately died, um, what that was like for him, uh, for me, you know, for my brother, for my mother. Um, and I just wanted to write it so that, you know, I, I can't swing a dead cat without hitting somebody who, who, who is, who is suffering, um, the loss, um, or the diagnosis of a loved one. And I feel, or the terminal diagnosis. And I just wanted people to know that they're not alone and that I was that one in three college kids who was grieving alone and grieving in private. And, not even knowing how to grieve again, like, you know, going back to your original question about me leaving New York, you know, had I had the tools to, to deal with what I was feeling inside, perhaps things would have, you know, been different. 
So that's my book. And yes, it's on Amazon.com and it's called Gracefully Gone. And so now what's the future for Alicia Coppola? I know you have the, the show Generation. What do you, where, where do you want your career to go in the next five years? Do you want to get more in directing? Do you want to act? Would you want to do a feature where you acted and directed or would that just be overload? Because you're also a mother. So, I mean, yes. it's yeah, things going on. What I want to do right now, um, because my short was so well received at the few festivals that I sent it to, the ones that I sent it to got in and it won. Um, I'd like to sell that as a TV series. Um, and so I have a couple of scripts done. I've got my lookbook. I've got my Bible. So my my um, my goal is kind of to become like Pamela Adlon on Better Things and, you know, have my own show. Also, you know, because my, my son is, is trans male, um, I would love to, to have a platform to, to tell that story because I think that's an important story to tell. And um, why not me? Why not have it be me who tells that story? And, uh, you know, and my child. Um, so I would like to see myself creating my own content and writing it, starring in it, directing it, you know, producing it. I would like to be my own, like, one-woman production team. Well, my own little studio. Well, that's awesome. I hope it happens. <laughs> did, you, ask. Did, did you get your Christmas tree yet? I got it, like, in October. Okay. Real? Real one? No, fake. No, okay. it's the first time we got a fake tree because I said to my kids, it is such a shit show out there. Let's have some joy. Let's put the Christmas tree up. You know, we have Hallmark taping. We have Hallmark and Holly Traditions on Sirius XM in the car so that we're all Christmased out. That's good. That's what we're doing. I mean, I, I've been shopping and uh, my wife's addicted to the Hallmark movies. I mean, it's like... Oh, oh my God. I have them on my phone. I get, I, I get the, the alerts. Because well, I have the Hallmark app. She just has a DVR. Like, I look at the DVR, and at last, like, what was it? Last week, they had every night there was one. Or yes. She's like, and then I'll sit there, and then she'll miss them. And I'll go, what are you doing tonight? You want to watch this? Oh, no, I have a Hallmark movie. And then it's like, and I know Saturdays and Sundays, you know, we were watching The uh, Undoing, but then it was like that we waited till the next day. But I'm like, honey, we can't because it's the final episode of The Undoing, and people are going to ruin it. So we have to watch it. So after her Hallmark movie. I, I do all the laundry to Hallmark movies. Well, that's good. I zip them all up. And then when I have my, my, my scary laundry, I have something to do it to. Now, are you still tweeting a lot? I know that's how the first time I met you was on Twitter. Yeah. No, I got off Twitter. I got off Twitter because I just, I didn't care anymore. And it's too much. It's too, it's too hard of a job. It was like having a third job. And I don't really have that much to say. And if I have something to say, really, who cares? Who's going to listen? <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, I, I do because I find that's fun. And I can go down the rabbit hole of like cute baby videos. Okay. You know, but I also found Twitter to be a little political and it could be mean. Yeah, it's it. it I, I that's the one thing. I mean, I tweet every once in a while. I'm a big Facebook guy. Instagram, I do. I promote my show and I do food pictures. I do something called uh, cheap and easy stay at home dinner. So I always say how much it costs and like that. And it's fun. Inst Instagram's fun. You know, that's yeah, what's good about fun. Instagram. It's fun. There's fun. You, 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 I learn a lot. I get recipes. I get ideas for things. I, you know, oh, there's a new lipstick color I didn't know that I needed. You know, I mean, it's it's informative. Well, I want to thank you for coming on, Alicia. Uh, people, go check out her work. Uh, just go watch it. She's she's great. You know, I'm telling you. And go check out my work. Over 800. You were episode like 322. I'm up to episode 828. 
Uh, so people, go to my website, coopertalk.net. Email me, cooper, at coopertalk.net. Twitter, I'm at coopertalk. Instagram, at coopertalk1, because someone else has coopertalk. Makes no sense. And so remember, I'm Steve Cooper. I'm only as hip as my guest. Don't forget, drink your water, eat your vegetables, take your vitamins, and I'll talk to you guys next time.